Welcome, friends, to Finding Her, a podcast that dives deep into personal development, creating a brand and business, self-management skills, and how to build that damn village, to name a few. I am your host, Julia Busby, a special education teacher by day that is working hard at building a brand, business, and community that will bring awareness and personal growth through weekly episodes. These weekly episodes will entail discussing topics we all have a hard time talking about in society. Just like you, I am a human juggler in this life, a wife who despises housework, and a mother of three. My passion is to serve others. So are you ready to learn? Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Kelly Berg. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, and I would like to start off the show by asking you what you're grateful for today. Sure. Um... Well, uh, as it so happens, I had to ask our lovely host um, to uh, be flexible and kind of reschedule our time a little bit. And so honestly, I'm, I'm grateful for her flexibility and support as, as I deal with some family stuff right now. So that, that <laughs> is much appreciated. Yes. And I'd like to say I'm grateful for um, the sun being out today. So you know what I mean with it being gross and cold and wet and rainy and windy in Oregon. So I'm happy that we have a little bit of blue sky today. So I'm grateful for that. So I am so happy that you're here. And, and we had talked before. I've been planning and with my co-host for February, Carrie Beth, um, really tackling the the issues that women are facing and have been for quite some time about body positivity, how they view themselves, how they think of themselves in their own bodies, because we here are trying to promote, promote health and wellness and loving ourselves, but we need to dial that back a little bit because some women struggle daily with loving themselves, including being in their body. So thank you so much for coming today to talk about the body positivity movement. And Absolutely. I'd like you to share with my listeners a little bit about you. Sure. Um, my name is Kelly Berg. I um, have a PhD in counseling psychology and worked um, in the field of eating disorders for uh, ooh, um, about 13 years um, as a researcher and as a clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, before moving to Portland, I was um, on faculty at the University of Minnesota in the Department of Psychiatry. So I'm not a psychiatrist, I don't prescribe medication, but um, I was a professor in the psychiatry department as a psychologist, because um, they they do utilize psychologists in, in psychiatry departments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked there doing research in eating disorders and also seeing patients um, and then my husband got a job opportunity in Portland, and so we moved our family out here, and um, we have three little kids, so I took a step back from academia and um, and have been, you know, kind of focusing a, a little bit more on our family right now, but um, <laughs> because of my background, I have been uh, really trying to... Um, work with um, different groups to just spread the knowledge that I have um, and, um, you know, basically kind of uh, teaching people about body positivity, teaching people um, why it's important, um, how you can, uh, you know, facilitate it in your own life and and so that's one of the things that I've been doing, but on a very, on a very part-time basis, just because I, I personally think it's so important. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for coming and sharing and educating to our community. Absolutely. All right. So could you start off? I know that Carrie Beth and I had talked about this last year when she was, um, a guest on my show. So can you just give us a foundational piece on what the body positivity movement is? Sure. The I will say that I come at the body positivity movement from a slightly different perspective. Um, I come at it from the perspective of 
an academic, a researcher, um, and also a clinician. Mm-hmm. And so I have, um, so I, I just want to put that out there. Um, I, my interest in the body positivity movement is, um, is less from my own personal experience and more from that academic mm-hmm. perspective. Um, but for me, um, the, the background that I have in it is as somebody who worked primarily in the eating disorders field, um, but who also kind of was on the periphery of the obesity field because there are people with eating disorders who are also obese right. um, and overweight and live in heavier bodies. Um, those fields started kind of intersecting a lot more over the time that I spent in the eating disorders field. Um, and there was always a little bit of a, um, a little bit of friction between people who did research in eating disorders and people who did research in obesity. Um, and I use that as sort of just the research term that's used in in the field Um, because the the researchers who really focused on obesity were very focused on kind of how do you how do you help people lose weight and the people in the eating disorders field um, very much kind of found that a little bit hard because a lot of the things that um, behavioral weight loss treatments teach almost start to look very similar or can very easily fall into the realm of disordered eating. And so there was a lot of friction between those fields. Um, And over the course of of my experience, um, being in the field and learning more about it and getting the opportunity to, um, to learn more about the research that people were doing, um, the more it became apparent that actually some of this, um, some of the, uh, sorry, I'm losing my words here, but the kind of demonization of living in a heavier body um, has really perpetuated this um, this uh, tendency to shame people who are, um, maybe overweight or live in heavier bodies or obese. Mm-hmm. And, and basically what we started learning in the research more and more was that that, um, that weight shaming, that weight bias, um, even though it was motivated, I think, from people's intention of helping people live healthier lives, which is, you know, a, a very, I think, reasonable goal to have right, right. Um, that that the the pragmatic real outcome of that has actually been to make people feel very dissatisfied and ashamed in their bodies and the outcome of that has been actually a lot poorer health um, we know that weight dissatisfaction in teenagers ultimately leads to a um, poor health outcomes in the future, regardless of what body size they are when they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. So regardless of whether they're living in kind of an quote unquote average size body or a heavier body, regardless of what size body they're living in, if they feel dissatisfied with their body, they're more likely to start smoking. They're more likely to exercise um, less, actually. They're um, more likely to gain weight over time. um, And they're more likely to start engaging in disordered eating behaviors over time. And so we, the, the body positivity movement for me kind of stems from a lot of this research that, that basically suggests that having a positive image of your own body, regardless of what size it is, regardless of even where you want your body to be a year or five years from now, but being able to have and hold in your 
in yourself, this positive image of your body and be okay with it actually has positive, more positive health outcomes than feeling really badly about our bodies. And so my perspective on the body positivity movement, again, is coming from this very sort of pragmatic academic perspective that is basically showing that having this positive image of our body, feeling mm -hmm. okay in our body, is actually going to be more likely to lead you to positive health outcomes in the future than the opposite. And, and so again, it's a very academic perspective, but it's, it's been shown over and over again in the research. And, um, and that's something that I think is really important to share with people because um, the media, I think, um, kind of continually plays into this idea that we, that if you live in a heavier body, you are unhealthy mm -hmm. and that you can um, directly impact your shape and weight um, through self-control and self-control alone. And that <laughs> if you do that, you will be healthier. Um, and if you don't do that, it's simply because you're lazy. And really, none of that is is actually backed up by research at all. Right, because everybody is so different. Everybody's, you know, the people's body sizes are different or, you know, somebody could be tall, somebody could be shorter. Um, exactly. And there's, um, and it's actually interesting because I, I mentioned this, um, this kind of uh, tension between the eating disorders research community and kind of like the weight um, research community. And um, actually just like a week or two ago, the Academy for Eating Disorders, which is the kind of premier um, research um, and clinical institute for eating disorders that professionals belong to as sort of their professional development. They came out with a document called The Nine Truths About Weight and Eating Disorders. And to your point, the very first truth that they have is that weight is influenced by multiple factors, including biological. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be like your genetics. It could be also things like um, your metabolism, your microbiome, um, psychological. So that could, you know, that's like your mental wellness. So mm -hmm. are you, you know, mentally well? Are you depressed, anxious? Do you have a history of trauma? Behavioral. Um, so what sorts of behaviors are, do you engage in on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis? Um, social factors. Um, so who is your, you know, community? Do you have a community? Um, and then also, I th and I think that this one is like particularly important. Um, they also point out that weight is influenced by economic factors. Oh, and yeah. That totally. is something that we don't talk about a whole lot that, um, you know, the, the resources that we have available to us, and that could be money, but it could also be just something as simple as time. Mm -hmm. That is going to have a huge impact on our weight. Um, and so this idea that, that we can simply out of sort of sheer force of will um, determine what our weight is, is just bananas. <laughs> it's just completely bonkers. Um, there's a really, there's some really interesting research. I just want to point out um, you know, I mentioned the microbiome, which is all the microbes and bacteria that live in different parts of your body. But um, in, in the literature on weight, they've started focusing on the microbiome in your gut. And one of, I think, the, the most interesting lines of research that they've shown is that if they take, um, if they take two sets of, of rodents, one that has been bred over time. So we're talking about 
biology and genetics. So they've mm -hmm. been bred over time to be um, overweight and obese, right? Rats or right. mice. Um, so you have that set of rodents. And then you have another set of rodents that's sort of been bred to just exist at kind of like a, a typical weight for a rodent. <laughs> if you if you um, take the what they can do is basically they can take a sample of the microbiome from from one animal and basically transplant it into the gut of the other animal. Okay, so they take the microbiome of the rats that were bred to be obese or overweight and they put it in the normal weight rats. What they find is that the normal weight rats gain weight um, despite no other changes to their diet, their ability to be active and mobile. And so there, there does seem to be, you know, these things that we don't really think about and um, people don't know very much about, like your microbiome, that, that do probably have a very important influence on things like our weight. Um, and, and so again, this idea that we are wholly in control of our body size, uh, you know, just through sheer force of will is just, you know, it's, it's not accurate. Well, and, and that's why when I first started the show last year with Carrie Beth and we did one episode and then we covered a whole bunch of stuff and it, it went by so fast. And I was like, you know, I have, you know, friends or people in my community, you know, I feel a certain way about my body sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And I've heard comments, you know, about from somebody else's perspective that might have or be living in a bigger size body than me, mm -hmm. um, you know, about I don't want to enter this room because I feel this way about myself or, you know, I just... I don't know why I gained all this weight and you know, there's so many things about it. And then I started looking into it even more and, and, you know, you see in the media how everybody wants to be perfect and they're taking all these pictures and then they have these apps where you can make your butt bigger or smaller, or, you know, you turn this way because you don't want the filter to look a little bit different on you instead of just being who you are um, on their flaws and all. But then I was like, this is a huge topic and, and there's so many aspects to it, like research, like you said, and a lot of people just see like the Dove commercial on TV with just, you know, all different sizes of women. And then it's like, yay, body positivity. We love everyone when there's so much more to it. Um, right. And then, you know, the shame that comes from it. And most of us, when we were raised, depending on how our own parents felt about themselves and their bodies, um, you know, diet culture comes in and, you know, oh, you need to eat better. You need to exercise. And, and that shame is just so much easier to spew out than saying, hey, we should look into research or we should read up about it. Um, what can we do to build awareness in the community? So when I took that piece and then I dove into it and then with Carrie Beth and how she said, you need to get a hold of Kelly. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just telling my community, we're going to have like double, triple shows sometimes in a week to give tips and strategies and help so we can get you guys more aware and get you educated in this area because it's really, really big. And what's right. interesting about it is learning that mindfulness and really stepping back and and learning how to love yourself with skills and, and strategies um, that are everywhere in the educational world now um, is something that's going to be really, really awesome for the community. So, yeah. And, and I, I really like how one of the first things you mentioned was, you know, as soon as you started kind of paying attention to it, you started, I think, kind of seeing the the bias about weight kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and I think honestly, as one of the things that I, I usually try to encourage people, one of the first things that you can do is just start to notice it um, because it's, it's everywhere. And there can be, you know, very overt, um, you know, uh, 
discussions of weight um, in our society and kind of very overt examples of weight bias in our society. Um, I think, you know, an example I usually give is there, this was an, an old advertisement, but but really in the grand scheme of things, not that old, but there was um, a Victoria's Secret ad that basically was for a lingerie. And I think it was called, they called it the body lingerie. So it was mm. kind of a play on words, but they basically had a bunch of Victoria's Secret models um, lined up in lingerie and the across them, it said the perfect body. And and so that's a very overt example of kind of this idealization of thinness in our society. And, um, and then, you know, the implication there, of course, is that if you don't have that body, um, you're imperfect. In right. Some it's like and, public shaming. Right. But I think even beyond that, you know, I mean... One of the things I remember I did in college was I went through, um, I went through magazines and I just counted up the number of times that either somebody was weight shaming um, somebody um, because like, I don't know if you were, I don't even know if they still do this, but I remember in one of the magazines, there was a, on the very back page, they did like a what not to wear type yes, of thing. I think that's in people. And, and like one of the the right. guys from one of the shows will like comment. Right. And like inevitably all of the people on that page live in heavier bodies. And so like, I mean, can you be fashionable and live in a heavier body? Absolutely. Of course you can. I know lots of people who are. Carrie Beth is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can you be unfashionable and not live in a heavier, like and live in sort of like, uh, what, you know, our society would sort of coin as being a health, a quote unquote healthy body or a normal weight body. Absolutely. (laughs) And so this idea that they would sort of select out all of the people who are living in these heavier bodies as being sort of unfashionable was just sort of another way, less overt, but another way of sort of saying, if you want to be like cool, you know, this like is accepted. Not how you do this. Right. If you want to be beautiful, you have right. to be this you, size. You can't possibly, you know, live in a heavier body. Right. Um, and so, you know, trying and and honestly, I the other thing I point out is that, you know, most of the focus in the body positivity movement revolves around women. Um and and I think that that is to some degree warranted because I think the the weight bias has sort of um, been you know geared more towards women, mm-hmm. but it does also exist for men and boys. And I have three young boys, and I'll give you the example of we went you know our our kids were sort of obsessed with superheroes for a while. And (laughs) we we went to, we were decorating, we had to put our oldest two boys in one bedroom. And so we had to kind of redecorate their bedroom. And we went to go look for superhero sheets for them. And every single one of the superhero bed sheets that we found for little boys were these, you know, a, very like adult male superheroes that were absolutely bulging with muscles in a completely unrealistic way. Kind of like when they made the wrestling figures. Right. I mean, it's just like, I mean, to the point that it's like that, that is completely like, even if you took steroids, I don't think (laughs) you'd be able to have that body. And so the idea, you know, it, it's a, it's a different idealized body for men, but it's still this sort of unattainable image of, of what we're telling people they should strive for. 
And, and I remember telling my husband, like, I don't think we can get these sheets. Like, <laughs> this is inappropriate. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't think. We're SpongeBob sheets. I so, you know, it's, so even though, you know, I think rightly so, there's a, there's a definite focus in the body positivity community on women. Um, and that, and again, that's appropriate. I, I want to make sure that we don't forget men and boys. In right. This. So um, it's everybody. It includes everybody. everybody. And I think, and I think it's impacting men and boys more and more. Um, and especially certain subsets of men and boys. I know that there's, um, that like in the gay community, mm-hmm. um, among gay men, um, body shape and size, um, is at an even increased level of importance and there's a lot more body dissatisfaction and disordered eating in gay men um, and gay gay teenage boys Hmm. Um, and so you know even though we focus a lot on women in this community um, it's important not to forget how it also affects men and boys well and then also in this aspect too i mean men growing up to believe that women should look a certain way so Mm. like for their for their for maybe their potential partner or mate or somebody you know oh women should look this way you're fat like exactly i don't know if that could be something that could be a part of it but if you think about it depending on what their life was how they were raised like what social stuff they saw on TV or on the internet, then all of a sudden they're like, I want the wife that looks like Giselle. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, one of the other, like the other things that people will say is they'll, you know, they'll say, okay, I get that like, you know, health isn't necessarily the same thing as weight. Like I get that. And I get that you can't necessarily perfectly control your body weight because it's determined by a lot of different factors that we might not have control over. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I'm just not attracted to it. Like, I don't think people who are overweight or live in these heavier bodies are pretty or beautiful or sexy. And my response to that always is well, that's because you have been taught. Mm-hmm. over years and decades to believe that a certain type of body is beautiful and sexy. And that's because people who live in heavier bodies have essentially been systematically shut out from being represented in society. We just don't see people who live in heavier bodies being portrayed as beautiful being portrayed as sexy. Almost never do we see that. And so one of one another thing that I, I encourage people to do is there are a lot of um, body positive activists mm-hmm. out there who um, who you know live in heavier bodies themselves and you know have these um, blogs or Instagram accounts where they basically demonstrate how you can live in a beautiful, in a a heavier body and be beautiful and fashionable and sexy. And, and it's interesting because even though, you know, I've, I've lived in this world for a long time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started following a lot of these accounts and, at first, it it was even for me kind of jarring um, because it's just something that I'm I haven't been used to seeing, right? right. Because right. it just doesn't exist anywhere. Um, but over time, it's like, oh yeah, like of course, right? Like, oh my god, like yes, this is amazing. It's, you're so brave. Is, Look at you're right. a badass. Yeah, and like. And like, you are absolutely beautiful and like sexy and like, oh my gosh, I wish I had that confidence and like, damn, (laughs) you know, like, do you know what for women too, it's harder 
as well because I'm thinking about one influencer that I forgot uh, her name. It's like papaya something. I don't remember. It's a really beautiful page, but like she had kids and everything and she's like, here I am like showing her whole body. She's got imperfections galore because, you know, our body looks different from when we have zero kids to we have a whole bunch of kids or even one kid. So then that makes the whole body um, image worse for those that are already struggling. But that's yeah. a fact of life that we have to prepare ourselves for. But it's okay. Like if you have a stretch, if you have stretch marks or whatever, you know, we made another life. Like, mm-hmm. but we've not never seen women on Sports Illustrated. They've always, you know, probably either picked the women that didn't have any, they had great skin elasticity <laughs> mm-hmm. or they airbrushed it out. So then when we have them, we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> what happened? I'm flawed. I have bad skin. What the F? Right. You know? So it's just, that's a whole nother part of it. You know, people that struggle before they have kids and then now they have to, you know, really identify, yay. I had my baby so healthy, but then look at what shape I'm in now, because now my body is totally different than what it was before. Exactly. And that can be, I mean, and the other piece of this is like what you just said about, you know, having kids, that body insecurity that people have after they have kids and their, their body has changed and the uncertainty of what their body is going to do over time. And, you know, if they have stretch marks or, you know, if their hips are wider or what, or they're, you know, especially I think for people who have, um, C-sections or, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the term, but where, you know, the muscles in your abdomen kind of s- split and, um, they have that medical condition. Yeah. Yeah. That can really have a big impact on kind of what their, um, stomachs look like. And, Um, and I'm sorry for the people who have that, that I can't remember what it's called at this moment in time. Um, (laughs) I'm really sorry. Um, but you know, all of those things can affect women regardless of what size they're at. Right. And, and the same for body dissatisfaction. I think that, that a lot of people, you know, believe that, that that only impacts people who live in heavier bodies, but really it impacts people across the weight spectrum. And this is such a pervasive problem um, that we just, you know, because we have been, you know, sort of systematically shown people who only exist in these very small bodies um, for so long, And then at the same time told, you know, you can have a body like this if only you work hard enough at it. And the way to health, the only way to be healthy is to have this type of body. I mean, we've been told these messages over and over and over again for decades. And so the idea that people would not be dissatisfied with their bodies, would not be ashamed of their bodies, you know, would not hate their bodies is, is, you know, hard to fathom. Of course people do. Um, and so, you know, and unlearning all of these things is very difficult work and, you know, really takes practice over and over and over again. And, um, and it's just very challenging work because of the, the messages that have been told to us for a very long time. I want to get a magazine and look through it and see if there's going to be like a difference from a long time ago or like how much, because you still see it everywhere. Oh, Um, absolutely. I mean, you still see, I think just recently I saw a magazine cover at the grocery store that was like reclaiming their health, like lost half their size or something like that. And And whenever I see things like that, I remember one of the first patients that I ever saw, she lost half her size um, because of an eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now that she certainly did not reclaim her health by losing half of her body weight. It wasn't like, yay, all of a sudden I love myself. I am the happiest I've ever been. Right. And she was very unhealthy. Um... And, you know, her electrolytes were completely 
out of whack. She had lost her period. She, you know, her bone density was, um, was, you know, really bad. And so there are all of these things that, you know, again, these messages are, well, if you lose weight, it's a healthy thing. It's a good thing. It should be celebrated. And, you know, another thing I tell people is, you know, if you see somebody who has lost weight, our first reaction is to always compliment them on it. Mm-hmm. And, and what I try to encourage people to do is don't jump to the conclusion that they have lost weight because they're doing something in their life that's healthy. Uh, they could have an eating disorder. Um, and when we see people in clinic who have eating disorders, one of the things they tell us is, yeah, I started losing weight and everybody started complimenting me on it, despite the fact that I was doing it in a really unhealthy way. So that's one possibility when you see somebody who's lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Another possibility is that they could have some other health problem. They could have depression. They could have some sort of gastrointestinal problem. They could have, they could have cancer. There's so many reasons why people lose weight or gain weight that right. that have nothing to do with sort of making conscious choices about diet and exercise. That's what happened when I took time off of work last year to reground and really get in a better place. Um, I went back to work and someone said, did you lose weight? Because I was out for about a month. And I said, so this was May. And I said, yeah, I've lost 30 pounds from January to now. And there's no gym. There's no diet. There's my anxiety was just so my fight or flight was on and vicious. So I couldn't eat. So, you know, my anxiety when it's out of control, it just hits my gut and it stays there. So it's like, no, I'm not eating. I'm not hungry at all. So, you know, that's a mental health piece, but you know, and there was comments too from people because they don't mean it in a bad way, but it's like, oh, I wish I could lose that. I wish I could do that. Well, I don't want it to be this way, <laughs> you know, um, right. but the stress, it just took over and my body was like, no, you need to slow down because this is, this is not okay. So, right. um, and, and it, then just and taking the steps to get out of that. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting to think about, you know, you know, I'm a behavior. So I'm always thinking about, you know, what are, what's being reinforced in my life and what's being punished in my life. And, and you could see how for, for some people, you know, in, in the situation that you just described, mm-hmm. how being told like, oh, wow, like, I wish I could lose weight like that. And, or, you know, did you lose weight or you look great or whatever is reinforcing this idea that, you know, oh, well, I guess to have people think I look good, I need to right, be, totally. be anxious all the time. <laughs> like, right. I know it, I know it seems like a, like a stretch, but I think for some people that, that is a very easy connection to make actually. Well, it got very scary there for a minute. Cause I was like, Oh my God, do I have a disorder? Like, do I have an eating disorder? You know, cause that's tied to anxiety. But then mm-hmm. I was very conscious in it and I was like, okay, hopefully like I'd be like, okay, I'm going to eat a little bit of food now. And, and I, we would celebrate when I was like, Oh my gosh, I ate all of that hamburger, you know? Um, and I wouldn't push myself, but then in the same sense, I was like, I don't want to lose another, I'm five, eight. So I was like, if I get into the low one forties, we're like pushing Jack Skellington, you know, <laughs> cause I'm five, eight. So I right. was like, I carry the weight very different long torso, long legs. So I was mindful in that sense. And so I started having like protein shakes and, you know, all these things. And my anxiety, of course, I was like, oh my God, I have an eating disorder now. And all these bad <laughs> things are going to start happening and blah, blah, blah. But another thing I've heard quite common, you know, with close friends and they knew, they knew everything that I was going through. And they said, you know, I'm the opposite when I'm really stressed, I eat a lot. Like I, it's like, I can't have enough. So it's almost like, you know, that's their way of coping. Cause you can tell that they must be in pain or they're you know, just handling it, their stress a different way. So 
that's where I was like, okay, it affects everybody on this side, but then it also affects everybody on the other side because you could have somebody that goes to work out every single day and have this, you know, very fit, muscular body and they still think they're fat, you know? Yes. Um, or I, I didn't go to the gym today and I ate this chicken and a pasta and all this stuff, which would be normal portion size and stuff. And you would think it would be okay, but they're like, I didn't go to the gym and it's just like, not okay. Yeah. No, it's, you know, overeating and, um, binge eating are, are two additional problems in eating disorders that, that don't get a lot of attention. Um, in the most recent version of our diagnostic codes they they put in um binge eating disorder as a as a disorder that you can um get a like a diagnostic code for and which means that you can get insurance coverage for it and stuff like that and um and it's still a very um uh sort of misunderstood disorder in um in kind of the outside of the eating disorder community because it hasn't been talked about very much. So in binge eating disorder, people experience um, times when they eat a large amount of food in a very small period of time. And in the context of that, they feel a loss of control over their eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, we see similar episodes of eating in bulimia nervosa and even in anorexia nervosa. But in binge eating disorder, it's not, um, there are no uh, what we would call compensatory behaviors. So there's no self-induced vomiting or laxative use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that go along with it. And, and a, a, I don't actually know the percentage off, of the, off the top of my head because it's again not been a very well studied disorder, but a uh, you know a significant percentage of the people who have binge eating disorder um, are live in heavier bodies, and I think for a long time there was this sort of kind of stigma around it because partly possibly because of the weight piece, people see. Um, eating disorders like anorexia, where people are very underweight, um, and they're typically younger. Um, we typically diagnose cases of anorexia. Um, Teens? Or younger. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have cases of binge eating disorder, and most often those cases of binge eating disorder aren't diagnosed until people are older. Um, I think one of in one of the studies we did, the average age of people was about was in their forties, I think. Um, and so you have, you know, teenage girls who are very underweight, and then you have, you know, women who are in their forties living in heavier bodies, and there is this kind of stigma around it that this is not as serious of a disorder as something like anorexia. Right, but the but the women or people who have been binge eating have also been doing it in silence. They're not talking about it. Right, and doing it for a really long time. I bet that, and that's exactly what we saw when we talked to people. Very often, people would talk about how they started engaging in these behaviors, not just when they were teens, but also some when they were kids. Um, And so they've been, you know, living with this disorder for decades um, and it's had a huge impact on their life and their mental health and their physical well-being and and so again you kind of see this how our conceptualizations of weight can have an impact on how we see the severity of different disorders if that makes sense and then there's, it's that considered disordered eating too, or that's on its own? Um, so disordered eating is basically any sort of eating patterns or exercise patterns that, um, that are, that exist in somebody's life, but don't necessarily meet the criteria for a full threshold eating disorder where you would get a diagnostic code. Oh, okay. there is a um, 
and it depends on, and honestly, disordered eating is, can, can also be defined as eating disordered, like behavior that would qualify for an eating disorder. It just sort of depends on how somebody's using it. So um, it's like um, per subject then to well, like it, individualized. It, yeah, it, it, I mean, honestly, it kind of, it's a term that, that was used in um, research studies when they didn't necessarily make an, or they didn't or they couldn't make an eating disorder diagnosis because um, some studies would just kind of give people a questionnaire where you couldn't actually derive a diagnosis from it. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's, I could go into the details of it more, but, um, <laughs> but it would probably bore everybody to death. So, <laughs> We'd be sleeping. Um, yeah. I, I would be happy to, if anybody has questions, but, but basically there are some questionnaires where you can get an eating disorder diagnosis from it or an estimate of it. Mm -hmm. And there are some questionnaires where you just can't. Um, and so when, when people give a questionnaire where you can't really get a diagnosis out of it, a lot of times they'll, they'll describe what they're seeing in that as disordered eating behaviors. Okay. And it sort of can encompass people who both have an eating disorder, like a full threshold diagnosable eating disorder, and people who kind of live in what we call this sub-threshold um, world. And you can get a diagnostic code for a sub-threshold eating disorder, um, and, but it is not necessarily always covered by insurance. Oh! That yeah. makes me so frustrated. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Um, I completely agree. And it is a frustration for us in the field too, and clinicians who work in the field. Um, right, because they want to be able to help their patients or the people that they work with. And they're yes. like, well, your stuff that you're going through isn't considered, you know, yes. like from this book that we have. You know, yeah. that, and that must be hard for, for yeah. patients. So yeah. what would you, what would you say as this is our first episode for the body positive <laughs> movement for Carrie Beth and I for February, what would you say for taking that first step or, cause we know that starting to change our mindset about how we view ourselves from the inside and sure. I mean, a tip, a resource, somewhere where we can go to learn more, because I know that this topic is just so humongous. You right. Know. Um, okay, so I'm because I'm guessing that people who are listening to this show are kind of at different points along mm -hmm. this journey, I'm going to give sort of like three different examples, if that's okay. okay. Yeah, perfect. So I mentioned that kind of one of the first things I encourage people to do is just start to identify weight bias in their lives. Um, and so that's kind of the first thing I encourage people to do. So when you're, you know, talking to people, watch for when people bring up weight and think about how, what is the context of them bringing that up? When you're watching commercials, how do people... Um, talk about weight. Are they, you know, are people who live in overweight or obese or heavier bodies in TV shows, but how do people interact with them on those TV shows? Is their weight kind of the center of the conversation? Mm -hmm. Just how, how is, you know, weight bias kind of existing in your life? Um, the, for people who feel like they already have a good sense of that, Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage them to start challenging those biases. Um, and there are two ways I think that, that you can challenge them. One is by asking yourself the question of, is what is sort of being said or implied here, is that true? Okay. So just sort mm -hmm. of being sort of, a uh, seeing everything for, through kind of a more critical lens. Right. Um, and you can, 
do that by also seeking out more information. A good place to start is the Health at Every Size um, community. Um, they give a lot of information about uh, how how you can be healthy at a, at any size, um, and they also give a lot of information about um, weight bias and how it can impact um, us in a negative way. I think that's great because a lot of the times, once you are aware and you start seeing these things and you start practicing this and being more mindful about it, you like it starts popping out everywhere. Yeah. And I, you know, it's hard because I think you're, again, you know, we've been taught these messages for so long, for Mm -hmm. so many decades, and it's everywhere that, you know, it's really, I think, hard to, to challenge this stuff um, if you're just kind of on your own. And so, you know, getting more information, I think, um, you know, trying to find kind of like body positive people in your life, even if it's on, like, even if it's your online life. So starting to follow body positive activists on social media and sort of creating this kind of community where you will also get messages about body positivity and why it's important. And Carrie um, Best blog. Best blog is a great one. Um, you know, Ashley Graham is wonderful. Lizzo is wonderful. Um, there's so many people out there and, and really like there's lots of different options. So if you find somebody that you're like, I'm not really sure there's somebody else out there that's going to be amazing and kind of speak to speak about it in a way that makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but just sort of, you know, trying to get messages from other people that will kind of be challenging to all of these sort of toxic messages that we're getting from everywhere else. Right. Right. That's that's kind of the, um, the second piece is sort of challenging some of these notions. And then the third piece. So for people who feel like, okay, I've got this, like, I feel like, yeah, I can challenge it. And now what do I do? And then the third piece I think is really starting to modify our behaviors. And so, you know, I encourage people to, to do really simple things like, you know, instead of focusing your eating so much around, you know, what do I eat to lose weight or can I eat this because I've already had this earlier in the day. Um, instead of focusing on that piece of it, focusing on, you know, am I hungry? Am I eating because I'm hungry? Am I eating? Am I bored? I'm bored. Am I eating because I want to feel better? And it's, and honestly, like, it's okay to eat if you're bored. It's okay to eat something because you feel like it's going to make you feel a little bit better. But just know that that's why you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And And then you can make a positive choice for yourself. Right? I mean, I know that if I've had like a really bad day, if I choose something for dinner that I really like, that's going to be like one little bright spot in my day. And is Mm -hmm. that a bad thing? No. But do I like, do I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it? And I can kind of think about how much of that food I want to eat and still pay attention to like my hunger and satiety. Yes, Mm -hmm. I can. So just sort of, you know, starting to think about why I'm eating, am I hungry, am I full, and starting to kind of pay attention to those messages a little bit more, um, rather than so much around how many calories have I had today. Oh, um, but then I could go do the stairway to nowhere for right. an hour and die, and I'll burn yeah, 700 I, calories. So now I can go eat a this, Right? So, um, <laughs> So, you know, the, and there's other, there's other things that, that people can do too, but that's one that I, I try to encourage people to do is really just start to pay attention to your body's hunger and satiety and, and listen to it, like actively listen to it um, because your body absolutely takes care of you mm-hmm. and, you know, it's our job then to kind of take care of our body and be respectful of our body. And if our body is telling us, 
I'm starving. <laughs> Can you please feed me? Right. I need some food. Or like, you know what? <laughs> I know this is really delicious, but I am starting to feel uncomfortable. Also, it's okay to listen to that. You know? And if our body is telling us, you know, like, I'm really tired. I think I need to go to sleep. I always okay. listen to that one. <laughs> oh, good night. Right. And I, you know, I have three kids, so it's like, I can't always listen to it, but there are ways of, of listening. There are ways of listening to that. Right. Too. My kids, so, my three kids, I was in your shoes many, many years ago. So there's hope for you. You will be able to rest. Okay. Someday. Someday. And then when it does come, you don't even, it's not like you'll be like, oh, I've been waiting for this moment <laughs> forever. It just happens and you're like, oh, okay. They don't need me as much anymore. <laughs> I know. We keep reminding ourselves like that day is coming. It is. It is. And, and I said this before, I think on the show, my dad used to tell me when my first or my second one was really little because they're uh, four years apart. Um, he was like, you know, he's only two right now, but I'm telling you, he's going to be moving out soon. And I was like, whatever. And now I've got two adults and one, one young, one 16 year old. So I was like, dad, it did go by so fast. So <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little bit longer, but where can we find you if we would like to get in contact with you? Um, that is an excellent question. If maybe the um, Instagram, I, um, I, you can email me. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. My email is Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y-C as in cat, Berg, mm -hmm. B-E-R-G at gmail.com. Um, I, I don't really have a website or I'm not seeing patients right now or anything, but I'm, <laughs> I'm more than happy to answer questions if people have them. Perfect. Um, yeah, and I would just encourage people, the, the Health at Every Size community is wonderful. Um, the Academy for Eating Disorders I mentioned just came out with um, the Nine Truths About Weight and Eating Disorders, which I think is a really important document. It's just a one-pager. Um, so that is something that you can also find online. Um, and yeah, I would just encourage people to, you know, incorporate body positive activists in, in their kind of online social media community. It's, it's really wonderful to get that, um, those kind of other messages about body weight, um, that, that sort of, you know, are against are, the social norm. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and the one thing I, the last thing I know we're running out of time, but the last thing I will, um, note is that, um, the last in the nine truths about weight and eating disorders that came out, the last one, number nine, and I'm just going to read it because it's so important. It says mm -hmm. positive body image, regardless of weight protects against disordered eating and other mental health problems and is associated with better physical health outcomes as well. Um, and so again, positive body image, regardless of what weight you're at, has better health outcomes, both mentally and physically um, in the long run. And, and so this is just a really important um, thing. So it really, if, if we can learn more about it and learn how to tackle it, learn some skills, learn how to be more mindful about it. It, it really helps us in the long run with other parts of our health and wellness. Exactly. Yep. And, and really having kind of this negative attitude about our, our bodies, um, feeling ashamed of our bodies, feeling dissatisfied with our bodies, regardless of what weight you're at, um, is, is the opposite. It's really problematic for our health, both mentally and physically. And, and that is something that's not talked about enough. So I, wow. I just really appreciate you um, taking the time in your podcast to dedicate to this because it's really, really important. I know. And that's why I was like, I can't just do one show or two shows. There's going to be so much <laughs> because it's such a huge, huge thing. So thank you so yeah. much for joining us. And I loved hearing your little guys in the background. They're so cute. Oh, I'm glad they didn't get, no, I love it. I'm glad that they didn't get the muscular <laughs> Avenger guys or Spider-Man or whoever. Yeah. It was. 
on their body, yeah. but, but you think about it or on their bed sheets, you think about it and it's everywhere. I know it is. Yep. And, right. and, and thank you for having me as kind of an academic yes. and just, you know, give you all like way more, probably way more research and details than you need, but I, I appreciate it. So. No, that's why I was all, I need her to come in and I need her to lay down the foundation piece. I'm totally about the academia piece as well. So thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review on iTunes. That would mean the world to me. And if we're not friends already, visit me on Instagram, Julia M. Busby, and let's be friends. If you're interested in learning more about me and the services I offer, head on over, including my blog, head on over to juliabusby.com and I will see you next week. Keep shining.